You're listening to the Casting Shadows Podcast. This is RPG A Day 2022. Unlike last year, and unlike the response that is the previous episode for day one of RPG A Day, this episode is going to comprise several days. It's going to take us from day two of RPG A Day through day six. There'll be a separate release for day seven, the System Sunday, because I think that's going to be fun to talk about all by itself. So, let's begin with day two. Now, if you'd rather read these responses than listen to them, you have that option. They are appearing daily on the Casting Shadows blog in written form, and I'm hoping I'll be able to keep that up throughout the entire 31 days. We'll be appearing infrequently here on the podcast and infrequently in a combined form on YouTube. So if instead of listening or reading, you'd like to watch a video response, you'll be able to do that too weekly on YouTube. But let's get into it. Day two's question is a what question. What is a great introductory RPG? We speculated in day one. Uh, who would we like to introduce to games? And I put forward a hypothetical situation where I could undo a regret I have of not inviting someone to try gaming. Right? So what would be a great introductory RPG for that situation? I think this is a deceptively simple question. Like On one hand, it seems perfectly normal to recommend the game that we ourselves started with. You know, it was good enough for me, why not good enough for you? But on the other hand, maybe that game that we started with is not the game that we play the most often or not the game that we actually prefer the most. Now, there are a lot of factors that go into it. How long have we ourselves been playing? How many games have we actually played? What do we actually have in common with this person that we've introduced? And there, there may be a different answer, not necessarily a better answer, but a different answer which provides a better solution for the question of how do I introduce this person to role-playing games right now? So, for me, if I think back to my hypothetical regret situation and this, this young fellow that I'm going to call Roger because that's not his name, the game I was in reality playing in those days, uh, in that specific time frame, was Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. We were moving away more strongly from the various basics that we were still playing, and we were moving away more strongly from the the melange, the blend of basics material plus advanced D&D material. And we were moving more toward a more accurate, <laughs> not accurate, but more accurate form of play of, of AD&D. So... If I had actually invited him, that's the game that I would have invited him to. It's the only game I knew, Dungeons & Dragons, although I knew it in a variety of forms in that time because of the nature of that time. But the best game out there 
that existed, even if I didn't know about it, for Roger, you know, I think would have been Stormbringer. <laughs> and I'm fascinated to consider what it might have been like had I, in those days, had access to Stormbringer and been in a position with that version of the game from those days to comfortably and successfully introduce someone into gaming using it. So I think that's a key point, is how familiar is the introducer with the game? I think there's a certain charm to nobody in the group having any idea of what's going on. And I think there's a certain comfort and expectation of success that goes along with the Game Master at least being familiar with the game and how it goes and so that they can focus on making the experience fun for the new player. And there's this kind of uncomfortable, awkward space in between those two nodes <laughs> of comparison. But I think it would have been amazing to be able to introduce Roger to gaming through Stormbringer. The setting, I think, was right up his alley. And he wasn't a reader, so he wasn't exposed to the internal, the eternal champion stuff from the writings of, of Moorcock. But he was, you know, the quintessential metalhead. And he definitely felt like, you know, Lemmy was God. <laughs> so... Being a very metal guy, I think he might have gotten into the idea of exploring Hawkwind and ex exploring Blue Oyster Cult. Although they lack that certain metal edge, there is this wild and very metal-seeming nature to Elric and the other expressions of the Champion Eternal. So I think it would have caught his attention, and being able to act in that world, I think, would have really grabbed him. And plus, well... Stormbringer as a facet of BRP is something that we can very quickly explain. So without getting too deeply into the whys of the connection between Roger and Stormbringer, what makes Stormbringer a fun introductory game? It's full acceleration toward the embracing the chaos that can come from play. It's a wild and untamed setting, and it's a certain amount of brutality and a certain amount of exploration and a certain amount of introspection, and there's magic and miracles and mysteries, there's betrayal, there's so much. Now, there are some problems with Stormbringer from a certain point of view, but in this situation where you've got one game master introducing one player to role-playing, a lot of those are mitigated for Stormbringer. And that big one is that the game completely ignores the typical considerations of the different player characters being roughly equivalent in what they can do. It's not the only game out there to be built this way, but it certainly embraces this nature with a, a, a vigor that might be unexpected. But I think that too would have suited Roger, making it an ideal starting game. But if I were to have a hypothetical opportunity to introduce a stranger to play because I recognize in them that interest and am looking to start up a group myself, I think what I would go for is 
if I felt a kinship with them in terms of you know liking action movies, like perhaps we're of an age and we grew up with the same action movies we both like, Predator and Die Hard, and we like The Mummy with Brendan Fraser, and you know we like these movies. If that were the case, then I would certainly pitch Broken Compass. It's a game where I can easily scale up into more difficult and perhaps more satisfying interactions with the system later, but I can, without sacrificing very much, use a simpler form of the mechanisms of play at the beginning. It's got uh, simple dice that are easy to access. It's got great art that attracts the eye, and it's based around the premise of this action movie notion, or pirate movies, or swashbuckling, or, you know, the great races or explorations of the 1890s, or or pretty much anything we can wrap our head around, as long as it considers the idea of larger than life, and great fun, and great imagination. So as a first experience, I feel that this really speaks to me as screaming out to be an introductory game. Plus, if there are more people in the group and they are experienced, they sacrifice nothing, right? They can meet this game running. So these are my suggestions for day two. Let's move on to day three. I first got to play, sit down and play an actual role-playing game in 1983. I had moved to this new town. It was not a town that I particularly liked, and for the years that I lived there, I never really warmed up to it. But there were people there. I made some, with a little difficulty, I made some good friends. It's not easy to move at that age. I was going into grade 7 at the time, so I left all of my friends and all the things that are happening to you as you move from, you know, being 12 into, into being 13 and I had to leave all that behind, move to a completely new place, and start over again. (laughs) Now, the town I was living in, well, I don't want to talk about it because this is supposed to be positive. Let's just say it wasn't all bad. And those of you who can hear between the lines will know what I mean. (laughs) So, how did I make friends? Well, it started out um, through common interests in computers. Our science teacher got one of those uh, kits for building a a Sinclair, and that got us talking about the computers that we had. You know, people had VIC-20s, and some people had Commodore 64s, and I had a TI-99-4A. So we had lots of stuff to talk about and points of comparison, how easy it was to program and stuff like this. And once there's a point of entry, once conversation has begun, Then we can segue into other things like the books that we're reading. And that led us to talking about the books that we were enjoying, such as the Choose Your Own Adventures. And maybe we were kind of growing out of those, but still there was a lot of of books in those series that we'd never seen, but we'd seen advertised. So uh, trading those back and forth kind of built the, the ground for friendship first stages of friendship, and it opened the door for introduction to role-playing games. And so, a guy I've talked about before on the channel had a lot of older brothers with a big gap between between him 
and them. And they had been war gamers, and they were early adopters of role-playing games. Well, he was inheriting their stuff, and he was kind of a survivor of trying to play with his much older brothers and and uh, being treated like a kid. And he wasn't, you know, that wasn't a great introduction for him. But he became a great person to gather together and introduce new people to gaming. He did not do unto others what had been done unto him. He made it a very welcoming environment. And not only that, he was gaming from the perspective of everybody that plays a role-playing game should play the whole game, meaning that, yeah, you're going to be a player with a character, but you're also going to be the dungeon master. There's no reason not to. And so, as I've talked about on the channel before, my very second game, I ran the game, right? He prepared me for being the dungeon master the very next time that we played. And I think that is one of the reasons why role-playing was so much fun for me and why it's had such longevity through my life. But we played Moldvay. Not that it mattered. And soon we would meet people that were using Holmes, and soon I would meet people that were using Menser, and soon he would get his own copy of Menser, and all these things were mixed together, and this was a very, very interesting time for play, especially when we collided with Advanced Dungeons & Dragons and all the fun that that opened up for us. So, through computers, through choose-your-own-adventure books, through... <laughs> This TI-99-4A game, Tunnels of Doom, which I desperately wanted, and my other friends back in my old, not exactly hometown, but my previous town, who had TIs just like I did, they had Tunnels of Doom, but I didn't. And I never got it. And I was desperate to get back into that kind of dungeon-exploring, monster-fighting uh, environment that that game provided, just like the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And... Because I talked so glowingly about that game, it opened the door to be introduced to Dungeons & Dragons Fantasy Adventure Game. <laughs> so, that is when I got involved in role-playing. And that's the end of Day 3. Which brings us, interestingly, mathematically, to Day 4. Day 4 is a where question. And it's asking us where we would host this introductory game if we managed to successfully introduce it and got someone interested in playing. Well, those who listen to this channel, listen to this podcast, listen to uh, us on YouTube or read on the blog are aware that we have quite a few dogs. Um, most of the time we have anywhere between five and six and occasionally as many as, as seven. Currently, we have five, and these are all rescues, and they're all different types. We've got, these days, only one little dog, and our biggest is a very large Doberman. So, people coming over to the house, as much as I would love to go over to, ho go over to a house with dogs like this, it isn't always possible. Not all the dogs are uh, totally accepting of strangers, particularly if those strangers are unfamiliar with dogs or are quite nervous about dogs. Um, but, I mean, all the dogs are incredibly sweet. They're not 
dangerous animals. They've just been through, you know, abuse in their past. And I like them to feel completely safe here. So we don't actually have guests over to the house. So that cuts off what has always been, since I've been an adult, has always been my favorite place to game in my own house with all of my stuff, all my games around me. I find that to be the best place to play, but it's it's something that I've had to give up. So when, as I still seem to be moving to new towns and new communities, <laughs> even as an adult, on those times where I need to build a new group, to start over, to introduce gaming to new people and, and find people who used to game but don't anymore and all of this stuff, where to play. And the solution that I've come up with is that what I like to do is rent meeting spaces or function spaces. These are usually perfectly sized for a normal RPG game group sized group of people. They have all the equipment that you're going to need. They have all of the hospitality service, such as you know cold drinks and snack food that you're going to need. They have AV equipment. Uh, if a member needs to come in from you know come in remotely by Zoom or whatever, that's possible. If you need to use uh, projection or if you know for maps or or images or handouts or whatever, all that's possible. There's photocopy services. I mean, it's just it's far more useful technology-wise, than my house. <laughs> the chairs are more comfortable. There's a big table we can all sit around. Everybody can see everybody. Everyone can hear everybody. And the rental fees for the, the few hours that we're going to be there are, are quite reasonable for, you know, for a group to float. So I really like this as an idea. But going back in time to my hypothetical uh, undoing of regret with Roger, well, I didn't have the funds for such a thing. I don't even think those types of meeting rooms were in the town in which I was living at the time. So it's just a, a non-starter. We certainly couldn't play in someone's house because this is during the satanic panic. And the people who were satanically panicking, well, they made it pretty difficult to play in houses. So my groups, we played walking to and from school. We played in the hallways and the stairwells at school. Uh, we played, you know, wherever we could, basically. And as we got older, we started actually going out to a Canadian heritage site, a restored fort on the border between New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, Canada, where I'm from. And it was a blast to play out there. Uh, it was not good to go out there in winter. And there's an awful lot of winter when you're Canadian. There's even more winter when you're living there in that part of the in that part of Canada. But during all the other seasons, it was really quite nice to go out there. You could play inside, inside the restored sections of the fort, or you can play in the storage chambers of the, the fort, which are very easy to imagine as being some kind of cavern. Or you could play outside where through many of the views at the fort itself, there is no other sign of human habitation anywhere. So you really feel like you're in the keep on the borderlands, that kind of thing. You saw the awesome power of the Bay of Fundy off in the distance with the world's highest tides. And you were basically dropped in the middle of nowhere because we're on the Tantramar Marsh, which is the world's largest saltwater marsh, which means the whole town was 
completely surrounded by nothing. And it felt like that growing up there, let me tell you. But for gaming, what an immersive and ideal situation. So I think in this hypothetical situation where I could actually have had the wherewithal to invite this guy to game, going out there may have made Stormbringer come to life in a way that I completely would have failed to do in a wood-paneled rec room somewhere. So, yeah, that handles day four. Day five is another tough question, really. Now it's a, it's a why question. So it asks, why would these people who are being introduced to the game like it? Right? Why would Roger like Stormbringer? Or why would these hypothetical new people in a new town like Broken Compass? Why? Well, part of that question is, of course, going to be me, right? The game master or the person who's running the game. It's going to be any other person that's in the group, right? So hypothetically, if it's a one-to-one -one experience, right, they're going to have fun because you make it possible for them to have fun. You lay the groundwork for fun to happen. They're going to have fun because we've correctly identified a good match between them and the game that we're playing, you know, its setting and what its characters are about and what it's possible to do and, and that sort of thing. The connection between you as possible friends will be there. Why will they enjoy it? But focusing specifically on the game itself, why will they have fun with it? A lot of the time, a lot of us tend toward easiness, right? The ease of getting into it. Like when we were kids, when we were eight, nine, or ten for some people, or, you know, in their early teens for others, we're aware now, looking back, that we weren't playing, you know, raw. We weren't playing rules as written. We were playing, you know, kind of like row rules as understood. And that means that it was as difficult as we needed it to be. It was as fast or as slow as we felt like. It got as detailed as we could handle and this sort of stuff. As our understanding grew, our game deepened, our game became more complex, or maybe we felt drawn to games which were more complex until we reached a point where it maybe, for some of us, got too complex and we went back the other way looking for some sort of sweet spot. The beginner doesn't have any of these senses. They just know that it's supposed to be fun. And one of the things that the curse of knowledge can lead us to is forgetting what really was fun back when we were new players. And we end up burning a lot of playtime, explaining a lot of stuff which maybe doesn't matter to that first play session or maybe won't even be used in that first play session. We really want to get down and, and play. Right? We need to connect with them through play. So there's a certain ease to adopting a game like Stormbringer. As complicated as the setting might be, as complicated as all the system options might be, there's something simple about playing an adventurer like Elric or an adventurer like Dorian Hawkmoon and saying, you're armed with a sword, you're in a dangerous land, right? You live by your wits, uh, you work as a mercenary. 
What are you going to do? There's something simple there. In a game like Stormbringer, as it's based on BRP, functions on that moment-to-moment, blow-by-blow, second-by-second interaction, and the conversation in play tends to be about what you're going to do right now in this minute. You know, I'm going to block, I'm going to stab, I'm going to parry, I'm going to thrust, I'm going to run, I'm going to duck. It's immersive in its own way. It connects to the human in us. It connects to survival. And it's it's not high-level strategizing. It's not considering a sequence of events. It's not considering a minute of combat. It's considering this sword thrust or axe blow to your face. What are you going to do right now? And so I think that's one of the reasons why a guy like Roger would thrill to the opportunity to play Stormbringer. The percentile dice, not difficult. Rolling for damage, also very simple. And the rest of the game, if that first game was enjoyed, can be added over time. Broken Compass, kind of exactly the same way. Except here, people are maybe very likely to have played Yahtzee in their past. And so they're going to recognize what they're supposed to do with the dice, right? They're not supposed to add them up. They're supposed to look for matches. Great. Easy. I can do that. And we can begin with a simple pass or fail kind of approach. And then as everyone realizes that, hey, this is easy. And as everyone realizes that, you know, it's actually not hard to be a role player. We do this virtually every day of our lives in normal conversation in the office or on the bus or wherever, once they realize that those two things join together in play, well, then we can give them more options through the dice. It's not just pass-fail. There are different ways to use those matches to have even more fun with the character. And I think at that point, the play will become intoxicating. So why will they like these games? Hopefully, if I do my part right, they'll be set up to be able to see the games for what they are and see how they can be fun, and then they themselves will have enough faith to take that leap and jump in to an imagined world. Well, this brings us to day six. Day six is our how question. Now, I've heard a few day six posts. There's quite a lot of people who are doing this a week at a time. And this is a question that isn't sitting very well with a lot of people, and and that's okay. I mean, um, there's not a lot of space for us to communicate what the questions are fully about all the time. And we don't really want to put people in a straitjacket or drop people into a box and say, please answer this question and only this question. The questions are supposed to send us off in a direction, but in a positive direction. So I don't feel that this question is evil, but it's definitely been, well, misunderstood. What is the question? Well, it's building from the previous question. So how would we expand the group? How would we get more people to play role-playing games, to play this role-playing game? Right. So we've introduced one new person. And we found a great introductory game. And, you know, we have made these decisions based on our own introduction into gaming. We found a great place to play. And we have an understanding of 
why all those things are going to combine and work together. So how are we going to make the group bigger? All right. So whether we have a specific person in mind, such as my idea of Roger, or maybe we have a, a type of person or a situation in mind, like people in a retirement home. Either way, the notion is the same. Once we have a group together, how do we open it up to be accepting of more people? How do we expand that circle of players? Well, like I said, the notion is the same. So we don't need to now split our attention between Roger and the hypothetical new group in a new town, right? We're going to cover the same type of steps that we've already done when exploring the earlier questions in the week, right? We have to go through the same process. Is this person a good fit for, for role-playing games at all, right? And are we playing a game that's going to work for them, or do we need to consider switching to a new game if we're going to add them, right? We observe them, we interact with them, and we start to identify these things and think, you know, this person might be a good fit for our group. But now it's not just, you know, game master seeking player kind of situation. Now it's a group that's looking to add another member. And so we move forward with collaboration. We interact with this new person. We assess right, what we think their interests are. We interact with them to determine what their interests are. We treat them as a person. And we see if we fit together. Are we interested in the same kinds of films? Do we like doing the same sorts of things? What common ground do we have? What do they think about the play that we are already involved in? Is that something that they want to get involved in or are they not quite interested in that? And is there common ground that we can identify as a potential group of gamers? So I feel very much that the experience of role play is a very personal one. Right? And while some of us might be very interested in the global community of role-playing gamers and what the trends are and what the latest games are and what the new developments and innovations are and what people are talking about about their favorite games. While some of us are very interested in that very macro level of it, that is not the play of it. That's another aspect of enjoyment of our hobby, but it's not an essential one for play right here, right now with these people. Right. It can definitely inform that play. But if you follow my train of thought, it's not essential to it. Right. Role-playing is that group right now with all the things that make us who we are. So, by deciding to expand the group, I feel it's necessary to do that as a group too, not have some authority figure insert someone in, into play. That can certainly work. Right? It can be a hand-picked crew of gamers. It's just not what I prefer. It's not my how to do this. 
Now, I tend to play with small groups, and there's reasons for that, like small apartments or uh, weird schedules or playing online, which definitely seems for me to work better with a small group. But that said, I've been known to have some really, really big groups, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 people all involved in, in one game and being active. I'm not a stranger to that. It's just not my preference. But how we get there, how we get the small group of three people or four people or five people compared to the large group of ten or more, how we get there is the same through the group, through interactions with the group. Do we get along as people? Yes or no? If no, well, don't consider them any further. If yes, what common ground do we have? Once we start discovering common ground, we can begin to identify different games that can be pitched for this group to play together so that the compromise is shared. Right? We're all equally compromising. We're all equally enjoying to the best of our ability. And if we identify that common ground, well, what about this game that we're actually playing now or intending to play next? How does that sit with everybody? And if we can say yes to all those questions, then we play that game. If we say no to the last question, then we find the game that the group wants to play. Those familiar with this channel should already be smiling, right? We're talking about the Holy Trinity. Talk with the players. Play the right game. What makes it the right game? That we want to play it. That it will be fun for us to play right here, right now with these people. And don't be a part of the problem, right? Be honest. Communicate. Get involved. Participate. And help make the group fun for everybody, right? The holy trinity of role-playing advice is not just something trite to say. It's actually a procedure for successful gaming. So that's my how. And that ends this episode about... Week one, mostly, except for day seven. About RPG Day 2022, we've looked at the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how of the first week. Okay. This is what I have to say, but I'm not the only one talking about this stuff. RPG A Day 2022 is spreading throughout so many podcasts on Anchor and beyond. I'm doing my best to listen to as many as I can and to share them in different places. And I know that Anchor is a community and the, the podcasts involved, uh, we all seem to know each other and there's an awful lot of, of crosstalk. Uh, both in audio format as the messages, which are soon to be taken away from us, and in other locations. But I would still encourage people to go out there and not just listen to what people have to say about their thoughts on RPG a day, but to interact with them about it. Pull out something that's of interest to you and, you know, and make note of it. Start a little conversation with it. And let's dive a little deeper into some of these thoughts and some of these experiences and why they're positive and how they can apply to us. Let's continue to connect, even though 
this event is going on. Let's continue to connect because this event is going on. Let's make it fun in all aspects. So ones that I particularly enjoyed listening to this week. I enjoyed both Jason and BJ, Nerds RPG Variety Cast for Jason and the Arcane Alienist for BJ. I enjoyed them bringing up the idea of introducing role-playing games to kids. I think there's an awful lot of stuff to talk about there. I think there are parents among us who have done that with their kids or who are considering doing that with their kids uh, in the future as they get older. I think there's a lot to talk about here that can be a lot of fun and be a positive for. So these kinds of things. I've been enjoying listening to Joe at Hindsightless, not only dealing with the struggles of moving during an important event like RPG a day where he should have stayed put, hunkered down in a bunker with a solid internet connection so that he could constantly fill us with ideas, but because that was not possible, it's fun to listen to what he has produced uh, in a more guerrilla style. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there. I've just now, just now this second, received notification that Colin Green from Spike Pit has produced an episode about this, and so that's where I'm headed next. But I don't want to forget to mention Free Thrall and the Keep on the Borderlands, who has also talked about it, and Ray Otis at Plundergrounds, who wasn't going to talk about it, but then did. So there's an awful lot of stuff out there, and it's all really cool. And as one of the organizers, it's, well, it's just wonderful to not see, because this is podcasting, but to hear. All right. Enough. Now that the who, what, when, where, why, and how of the first week of RPG A Day 2022 are behind us. I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to them in this format. Well, what else is going on? What else is going on is that I've been invited to play in Jason Connerly's Boot Hill uh, play-by-post game. Jason Connerly of the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm looking forward to, uh, to that. We're going through our in a sense, session zero right now about all the particulars of play. Good questions being asked, good answers being given. It's quite a large group, so I think it'll be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Also, I was invited to participate in an episode of GM Mastermind by Sean, formerly of Gaming and BS. That's kind of an exciting invitation as well. I won't reveal what the topic is, and I have no idea when it will be released. I just know when it's going to be recorded, but you know, I'll keep you updated about that. I have no idea who the other members even are in that episode's Brain Trust. If you haven't listened to GM Mastermind yet, it's a panel format with a topic and a variety of experienced game masters discuss the topic. It's pretty interesting. Other than that, not much new going on for gaming. We're scheduled to play the next session of our Alien campaign on August 10th. And I hope everybody in the group is looking forward to the tremendous bloodshed which is due in that episode. (laughs) But I'll keep you posted. Anyway, I guess that's enough for this episode. Everyone out there, please keep enjoying RPG A Day 2022. Have 
great and satisfying lives. Stay healthy and take care. You've been listening to the Casting Shadows podcast. If you'd like to hear more thoughts about role-playing games or read more thoughts about role-playing games, you can find those thoughts by me on castingshadowsblog.com, a WordPress blog, or on YouTube at youtube.com slash runeslinger. I'm also on Facebook. You can find me there at facebook.com slash runeslinger. Regardless, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you'll listen to more episodes, and more than that, I hope you'll interact with me about role-playing games here or in the other places that we've just mentioned.